I'm, uh, I'm glad to have you here again. I'm so glad to have you all with us this morning and to dive into the Word and worship together and be a part of these, these baptisms. And so um, we're going to get right into the Word this morning. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Um, if you're with us this morning, you don't have a Bible, you don't, you don't own a Bible maybe, you can find one in the seat back in front of you. I'm sorry, not in the seat back, underneath the seat in front of you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home, right? That's our gift to you. You can write in it this morning, take your notes in it this morning, take it home with you. We want to ensure that everyone in this place has a copy of God's word in their home. And so as you're doing that, as you're turning to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, I just want to say that, again, I am literally seeping excitement through my pores this morning for this baptism service. Like, it's a little hot in here, so I'm sweating too, but hey, listen, <laughs> I, I'm so glad to have us all here, and I've been excited for this for literally months. Since the day we set this date, I've been so pumped for this moment, and so uh, on many different levels. So mostly, though, because this is what we feel as a church we are called to do. And in fact, biblically, this is exactly what the church is called to do. If you're familiar with us here at The Rock, you know that uh, we are passionate about discipleship. In fact, we, we are passionate about discipleship. It's our mission because the Bible tells us that it is our mission. And our mission here at The Rock is to glorify God by making disciples. Right? We want to see lost people saved by the grace of Jesus. We want to see saved people matured as a disciple, and we want to see matured people multiplied out into the world to create more disciples. This comes directly from what Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go into the world, share my story, share my gospel, and make disciples, multiply disciples. And so we know that based on the text, that that is why we're here, to multiply disciples, to get as many people to Jesus Christ, to the saving grace, faith in Jesus as we can. And so if you're in this room with us this morning and you're like, okay, I've never heard this before, or maybe you've been a Christian and you didn't know that this was a text in Matthew 28, you may be asking yourself, what is a disciple? All right, what, what's it mean to be a disciple? Well, if you've been with us for a while here, you know that we've been walking through what we call this series that we call the 4W life. And these four W's, right, worship, walk, work, and witness, they are all characteristics of a disciple. All right, these are all things that we are called to as, as followers of Jesus to follow, right? We are to worship with Jesus. Way back three weeks ago, we walked, well, I'm sorry, we went through this series in worship about how we are called by the Bible, by God's word, to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. So as true disciples, we are called to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And then the next week, we talked about walk, right? Our second W. What's it look like to walk with Jesus, to be in his word daily, to be in prayer daily, to, to literally try to put our feet where his have been, achieving and striving for Christ-likeness, to follow Jesus, to be more like him every single day. And last week, we talked about what it looks like to work for Jesus, right? This third W, to serve the body of Christ with the love of Christ. And today, we'll talk about what it looks like in the call to witness for Jesus. 
And so what this is all about, these four W's, these are characteristics of a true disciple in Jesus. And when we follow these four W's, when we live our life according to what God's word says, how we're supposed to live it, something happens to us. Right? In fact, look what Paul says here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 14. What happens to us as a people who live out these four W's? He says this in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. In verse 15 he says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right, so what Paul says here is that when we begin to live this 4W life as a Christ follower, that the love of Christ will control us. All right, we look at this word control. If you're reading the, the King James version of the text this morning in here with us, the word there is the word constraineth or constrain. So when we look at these words control or constrain, what do they mean? What do they truthfully mean? Well, the, the, by definition, in the Greek, this word constrain or control is defined as to occupy or to compel with great urgency. Okay, so what Paul's saying here is that Jesus' love compels us to live a life dedicated to him, right? The love of Christ compels us to live for him. And so if you're in here this morning, again, you came here to see a baptism, you don't know Jesus, you've never read the Bible, you might be sitting here thinking, what is so compelling about Christ's love? Like, why am I compelled? What about Christ's love is so compelling that I would live my life for him? Well, when it talks about Christ's love here, what Paul is really talking about is the gospel. And that's where we're going to sit this morning as a church. We're going to sit inside the gospel. Literally, we're going to swim inside of the gospel of Jesus this morning. And so what Paul says is so compelling about Christ's love is in verse 15. Again, look with me again here in verse 15. He says this, and he died for all, right? Jesus died for all. He goes on to say, for, who for their sake died and was raised. This is the gospel, right? Paul is talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus. And so if you're in here like, why is Christ's love so compelling? It's because of the gospel, right? The gospel is why Christ's love is so compelling to us as Christ's followers. And the reason that is because when we look at God's word about who we are at our core, right, who we were before Jesus, we find out that we fall short of righteousness in God. Okay, Ephesians 2, we were just there last week. First verse of Ephesians 2 says this, we are dead in our sins. Okay, so before we get started into a celebration of life, of new life, we first have to realize how dead we were in our sin. The Bible tells us before Jesus, in our sinfulness, we are dead. And not only are we dead, but, but there's a wage to our death, right? Our sin gives us a wage. And the Bible also tells us that that wage for our sin is death, right? Eternal death. So what's this mean? All right, what's this mean? What, what do you mean eternally dead? If I don't have Jesus, I'm eternally dead. 
Yes, that's what the Bible tells us. And the reason behind that is because of this. The creator of the universe, the God that we serve and follow, is a righteous God. Right, the book of Isaiah tells us that God is light and that darkness can't comprehend his light. Right, so us as a sinful people, we can't stand before God. What happens to a room, a dark room, when you flip on the light switch? What happens? The darkness is eaten up. Right? It can't exist alongside the light. We serve a righteous God who is full of light. They, the Bible calls him the light. And so we can't stand before God as sinners. And everyone in here is a sinner, amen? Like all of us have fallen short of God's law, right? To be a sinner means that you have fallen short of righteousness. The Bible tells us that everyone, all man, has fallen short of God's righteousness. All of us have sinned. All of us have coveted. All of us have stolen. All of us have lusted after the flesh. Like we are all sinners, and so according to God's law, we are dead. But praise Jesus for the gospel. Right? The gospel of Jesus is what sets us free from that death. Right? The good news of Christ, that, that Jesus came down in flesh, God came down in flesh from heaven, and he was sinless. Right? He was the perfect lamb. The Bible calls him the spotless lamb. He had no sin. And he took on our sin, those who are guilty, so that we could live eternally through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus made us righteous. And all of this was because he loves us. All right, one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, even people who don't follow Jesus know this one, John three sixteen, For God so the world that he gave his only son. the gospel that compels us, right? The gospel of Jesus, what he did for us as sinners is what compels us to live a life dedicated to him. And all you have to do today is place your faith in that gospel, right? That's what the Bible tells us. Place your faith in that gospel and you'll be saved from eternal death. When you place your faith in the gospel, the love of Jesus through that gospel will compel you to worship him. It will compel you to walk with him in his word. It will compel you to work for him by serving. And as we'll see today, the gospel will compel you to witness for Jesus, right? That's exactly what this whole section of text is about, that the gospel, the love of Christ compels us to witness for Christ. And so Paul's going to show us in this text this morning that every single Christ follower in this room, every single Christ follower in this city, in this county, state, country, the world, every one of us is called to witness for Jesus. Now, I know some of you may be saying like, that's not me. Like I'm a Christ follower, but this is not me. I, I'm not one to, I'm not really good with people. I don't, I'm not good with witnessing for Christ. I don't really know how to express the guy. I'm not, Listen, I want to push on all of us in this room. The Bible tells us that witnessing for Jesus, right? Witnessing, telling the lost people of the world who Jesus is, what he can do for them, giving them eternal life through his death and resurrection, 
He can literally save them from eternal death. Telling people, witnessing to people, it's not optional in God's word. Right? God tells us it's a part of our duty as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus. This is an identifying marker of a true disciple of Jesus. Right? We are called to witness for Jesus. And that's what the text is going to show us today. We're called to witness for Jesus, and it's the gospel itself that motivates us to do that. Right? Because we've been transformed by the gospel. If you've placed your faith in here, in Jesus, if you're in here today, whether it was five years ago, five days ago, 50 years ago, you were transformed by the gospel. And today, Paul's going to show us in the text, when we place our faith in Jesus, it gives us three new identities. And we're going to see all three of these identities this morning. Starting with, in verse 16 here with this. As a follower of Christ, we are a new creation in Christ. Let's get our eyes in the text here. Verse, starting in verse 16 through 17 says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh... We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice how Paul opens up that sentence. He says, from now on. Right? From now on, we regard you no longer to who you were in the flesh, who you were before Jesus. If you placed your faith in Jesus, you are no longer regarded as who you were before. Once a person has accepted Jesus, we are no longer seen as our old dead self. If you've turned away from sin and chosen to follow Jesus, to accept the free gift of salvation, you are no longer defined by your sin. A great example that Paul uses is this. He gives us an example. He says, you're no longer defined by your sin like we no longer define Jesus in the flesh. Right, Paul says that. We no longer regard Jesus in his flesh. Right, before we come to know Christ, to be a Christ follower, to us, Jesus was just a man. Right, and for some of you in this room today, Jesus might just be a guy who hung on a cross in the first century. Like, I don't know, he's, yeah, he, I think history says he existed. He's, he's a guy. Before the gospel, Jesus was just a man to some people. But because of the gospel... We no longer regard Jesus to the flesh. Because of the gospel, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord, right? Regular old dudes who hung on a cross in the first century don't die, get buried, and then resurrect on the third day. Jesus is Lord. The gospel shows us that Jesus is Lord, and we no longer regard him in the flesh. He is holy. Just like that, we no longer regard each other in the flesh. Because of Jesus, Paul tells us we are a new creation. The old you is dead, the new has come. It right? doesn't matter who you were before Jesus. Right? If you were uh, struggling with drug addiction or alcoholism, you're no longer a drug addict or an alcoholic. Right? If you've turned away from your sin and you follow Jesus, you are no longer your sin. You're no longer defined by your sin. You were defined 
as one who is in Christ. Jesus makes you a new creation. He gives you a new identity as a Christ follower. And as we continue reading into verse 18, we're going to see that we are a new creation because we are reconciled to Jesus. We are reconciled to Christ. Look with me here in verse 18 through 19. Paul says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All right, so Paul tells us here that we are reconciled to God through the shed blood of Jesus. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we are reconciled to God. Now, why, why would we need reconciliation? All right, this word, reconcil reconciled, means to bring peace between two parties. Right? Why would we need to be reconciled? Well, if you read the Bible, the Bible will tell us that in our sinful state, we are enemies of God. Right? In sin, we are called enemies of God. Let that sink in for a second. The same God who created the universe, the same God who created mankind, the vast mountain ranges. I mean, look at his creation. That same God, the Bible tells us that in our sinfulness, we are an enemy of God. Right, that should send a shiver up every spine in here. Romans 5.10, Paul says this, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled Shall we be saved by his life? So Paul tells us we were enemies of God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God. Right, through faith in the gospel, Jesus has brought reconciliation between us and an almighty, righteous God. Right, because he took on our sin. And we're going to dive into this here in a second. In verse 21, we're going to see exactly what Jesus did. But, but hear this. Jesus, we are reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. All, right, all throughout the Old Testament, all right, if you're familiar with the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, only one thing could cover sin. Blood. Only one thing covers sin. In fact, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, right, Genesis ch chapter 1 and 2 and 3, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, they sin against God, right? Eve eats the apple, Adam eats the apple. We track and everybody know the story, right? They run and hide from the Lord. The Lord comes walking through the garden, calling from him. He says, Adam, Eve, where have you gone? And they come to him. They say, we knew we were naked and we hid from you. And he said, how did you know you were naked? How did you know that you had sinned? because we ate from the tree that you told us not to. And the very first thing the Lord does is he clothes them in animal skin. In order to be clothed in animal skin, what has to happen? Something has to die. To cover the sin of Adam and Eve, something has to die. Only the spilled blood of, pure, of a pure animal in the Old Testament can cover our sin. And so all throughout the Old Testament, 
All, for thousands of years, the Jews have been sacrificing pure and spotless lambs. Then one day God said, I'm going to give you the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice to cover all. You'll no longer have to do this. I love you so much that I'm going to give you the ultimate sacrifice to cover you for all your sins for eternity. Jesus was that sacrifice. Jesus brought reconciliation between a sinful man and a righteous and holy God. And that's what Paul's telling us this morning. He took the death that we deserved, right? Again, the wages for our sin is... He took the death we deserve, God's wrath. That's what Jesus took on the cross. Before Jesus, when God looked at us, he saw sin. But if you place your faith in Jesus, you become a new creation, and when God looks at you, he just sees his son. How incredible is that? Right? How incredible is that gospel? That we had a death sentence, right? I mean... Picture a courtroom, and we're standing in front of the, judges, the judge of judges, and he's listing off all of, our, all of our sin, and we know we're guilty, and we have no defense. And at the last minute, before the gavel fa fa falls, and we get the death sentence, Jesus steps in front of us and says, I'll take it. Even though he was innocent, I'll take it, because he loves us. So if a person comes up to you and asks you, why do you worship this God? Why do you worship Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. You fall f flat on your face for this guy. Why? That's why. That's why. Because of the gospel. That's why we worship Christ. Because God is a just God. And so he must give us what we deserve. But he's also rich in mercy and rich in grace and rich in love, and so he gave us Jesus. He came down in flesh and died for us. And not only that, not only does he reconcile us, but now Paul says we're also entrusted with this, this message of reconciliation. That's how incredible God is. He says, not only will I heal you completely, not only will I cover your sin, but now I'm, this message, this, this, I mean, this thing is literal gold. There's, there, it's the most amazing thing in the history of the world. And God says, here, old sinner, take this. He gives us the message of reconciliation and he entrusts us with it. What an incredible God that we serve, amen? amen. But now that we've been entrusted with this message of reconciliation, what do we do with it? All right, we have it, Paul says, once, you've, once you become a new creation... You've been reconciled to God. You've been given this ministry, this message of reconciliation. What do we do with it? Well, he tells us exactly here in verse 20. Verse 20 through 21 says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ, right? The final identity that we are given here is that we are, is one of an ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. Does anyone, everyone in here know what an ambassador is? Okay, an ambassador, uh, by definition, is an authorized representative or messenger, right? And we've had ambassadors all throughout history, 
There have been ambassadors throughout history of time. The ambassador's primary role throughout history was to deliver messages from the king to the people of the world. Do you hear what I said? To deliver messages from the king to the people of the world. The Bible is telling us now as Christ followers, our role is an ambassador. Our role is to take the message of reconciliation from the king of kings and give it to the world. That's what we're called to do. And we see the message. Like, what's the message? Okay, this message of reconciliation, Paul puts it all plainly into one sentence right here in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel in one sentence. Right? This is what's called, theologians call the great exchange. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, took our sin, and gave us his righteousness. He took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. This is the gospel. And this isn't something to be taken lightly. Right? If you're a Christian in this room and you're sitting in this room, this isn't a message that we should proclaim lightly. In fact, look what Paul says back in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you. The apostle Paul is stating to these, these, this church in Corinth, we implore you who are lost in this church, come to Jesus. Right? This is an, there's an urgency to this. Right? Paul's begging, he says, please hear the gospel. Hear the gospel this morning. He's imploring them. And that's how we in this room as Christ followers should be doing every single day. We should be imploring people, Please hear the ministry of reconciliation. Hear this message of reconciliation. No matter what, no matter what persecution comes, this word, this scripture, the gospel has to compel us to do this. Because you have family members and friends. People are dying every day and going to hell. That's the reality. As we live our lives, walking through life, worrying about everything, People around us every day are dying and going to hell. That's got to motivate us as Christians. The gospel of Jesus has to do that. Witnessing for Christ isn't just a duty given to a pastor or a team leader or a serve team leader or the usher at the front door. Witnessing for Christ is a duty for all who follow Jesus. If you've been made new, if you've been reconciled to Jesus, then the Bible says you're an ambassador. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years. You're an ambassador of Christ. The Bible tells us to go and proclaim him. Now, okay, if you're hearing me, if you're feeling me this morning, you're like, okay, I see it. I see it in Paul's words. I see it in God's word here in the Bible. How do I do it? What do I do? What's the first step? What's the best way to witness to somebody? It's your testimony. It's your story. As someone who has placed their faith in Jesus, it's your story that's going to compel people to seek the Lord. This is exactly how Paul did it. If we read in Galatians, this is what Paul does. Paul goes around from city to city telling his testimony. 
And if you're in this room, you know Paul's testimony. In fact, if you don't know Paul's testimony, here's a, here's a, a quick spark notes of Paul's, the apostle Paul's testimony. He was a Pharisee. Right? He was a high-ranking Jewish official. And he climbed this ladder, this Pharisaical ladder, because he was really good at one thing. He was really good at persecuting Christians. The same guy who's writing to us today, who's writing to the church of Corinth, was really good at executing, locking up, beating Christ followers. And one day, as he was heading to this town of Damascus, and he was getting ready to ravage the Christ followers in this town, lock them up, throw them in prison, beat them, stone them, on the way to Damascus, the Lord met Paul. Right? He appeared to Paul and he said, Saul, Saul, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And at that moment, Paul witnessed the Lord, fell to his face, and from that point forward, did a complete 180. So much so that people who had never even met Paul were hearing his story and coming to the Lord. Right? There were cities that Paul had never been in, but people were hearing this Paul, this Paul Pharisee, who used to persecute the church, is now praising and worshiping and spreading the gospel of Jesus. And just by hearing that story, people were giving their lives over to Jesus. It's your testimony. Your testimony is powerful. Go out into the world and share your testimony. In fact, it's funny that we're entrusted as a, as a, as a people, we are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. You're thinking, well, why would Jesus entrust the, the greatest thing in the world, the greatest news in the world to a bunch of sinners? Who better to tell people about the saving grace and love of Jesus than the people who experienced it firsthand? That's who, we need, who needs to hear it. And so I, I, I implore you, church, if you're in this room and you're a Christ follower, just let this stir you. And we're going to pray here in a little bit just for you to be emboldened, to go out and share the gospel because people are dying every single day. They cannot not hear the gospel, church. We are called to do this work, to share our testimony, to show people how Jesus completely changed our life. And in fact, we're going to do that as well this morning in some baptisms. As you'll notice, as we prepare to, to baptize uh, six people this morning, six people are going to step out in faith again and who have given their life to the Lord and in obedience be baptized today. And so as we do this, we're going to ask them a few questions and they're going to they're give you their testimony, right, why they want to be baptized why they want to get what, what happened? How did it happen? Who were they before? Who are they now? How the Lord changed their life. So we're going to see that this morning. So if you will, again, we're going to celebrate these baptisms. As soon as I, as I raise these people out of the water, it's going to signify that they've been raised with Christ, right? This is an example of being buried with Jesus and being raised to new life as a new creation. This is a celebration. So again, celebrate with us this morning as we do this. And so I want to call up our first baptism. Our first baptism this morning is...